Well, good morning, church. We are continuing in the book of Acts. So take a Bible, open it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts, the fifth book in the New Testament. This is going to be a very important passage that we study today. I don't know how easy it's going to be to actually uh, explain it and preach it, certainly not as easy as last week. Um, One of the things that might throw you for a loop is Luke is not writing chronologically. So in chapter 11, verse 19, we actually have to go back to chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, to understand the context. And as we go through these verses, hopefully it'll get, uh, become, become uh, self-explanatory. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we open your holy word, we thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. Whatever translation is out there, each translation can somehow, in a, in a mysterious way, lead us to you, lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ and to everlasting life. And I pray, Lord, that uh, as we share your word this morning, as we study, that we'll study to show ourselves approved, that we will be drawn closer to you. If there are people here this morning, Lord, who don't know you as a friend, then, then may they find that today. May our hearts be touched and softened, molders and shapers into the image of Jesus is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why this passage, and if I have time, chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, are so important is because we have a huge shift in the early Christian church movement away from Jerusalem with the emphasis no longer on the gospel going to the Jews and the gospel spreading northwards to the Gentile world. This is a huge paradigm shift. So by the time we get to chapter 13, we will no longer be hearing about people like Peter and the apostles in Jerusalem. They will tend to fade from the scene, and the focus will be on the apostle Paul and getting the message out to the non-Jewish world, which after all, In those days, as today, by far the majority of the people were outside of Judaism. And so if that's where the majority of the people were, and still are, then it's incumbent upon you and I, as well as the early Christian churches, to move out of our comfort zone and find people who don't know the Bible, And they don't know just about anything significant in Christianity, but they do need eternal life. And God wants them to be saved. Jesus made that very clear when he said this gospel of the kingdom has to go and shall go into all the world. And then the end, of course, will come when each person has an opportunity to respond In chapter 8, as I mentioned in the introduction, 
we see that a great persecution has broken out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, as this dispersion took place, we have to understand that these Christians were basically running for their lives. They weren't leaving their comfort zone to spread the gospel. Well, pastor, hadn't they been told to spread the gospel? Yes, they had. But they were very comfortable sharing the good news of Jesus with Jewish people. That's the language they spoke, and that's the culture which they knew. But as I said, the majority of people were outside of that culture. Even though there were many, many, many Jews dispersed throughout the world, there were far more Gentiles And so the gospel, because of persecution, is being spread northwards. Well, we don't have a map before you, but many of you, probably almost everybody in this room, has maps at the back of their Bible. So I found it very helpful to look at the maps in my Bible and try and understand what the Holy Spirit is doing, because this is all the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the devil and wicked men are causing persecution. But God is going to capitalize on that. The Holy Spirit is going to use events like that to work to God's advantage and to build up His kingdom. And so the movement is northward. Chapter 8 took us into Samaria, very close to Judea. But then we're moving northwards when we get to chapter 11 and chapter 13 uh, to places like Cyprus. And, of course, most importantly, to Antioch. So you're going to be hearing quite a bit in the next few weeks about Antioch and the significance of this great city, which at that time was uh, part of Syria, Uh, Now I believe it's in uh, Turkey, if I'm not, not mistaken. In verse 18, it says, and this is where we finished last week, it says, So God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Luke has thrown in the story about Cornelius, his family and friends getting saved, The leadership in Jerusalem is beginning slowly to understand that this good news of Jesus is not just for them. It has to go out from Jerusalem. They're beginning to understand that. And importantly, to understand that eternal life is to be given and offered to the Gentiles. Now we pick it up in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Lebanon today, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. So he's emphasizing that and making a distinction in the next few verses. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Now I understand, that can be understood, that word Greeks, in different ways. I understand that to, to be getting the gospel to people 
who really were not being exposed to that. So we can call them Greeks, we can call them Gentiles, people perhaps outside of the realm of Judaism who are now going to hear perhaps for the first time in their lives about the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you know, I heard Whitley Phipps speaking uh, just recently, and he talked about going to Eastern Europe, and he sang, if I understood him correctly, he sang the Lord's Prayer to many, many, many people. And then he said at the end, how many of you have ever heard the Lord's Prayer before? Not one hand went up. Now to us, that's incomprehensible. But the reality is, folks, there's probably at least two billion people on planet Earth who have never heard the name Jesus Christ. And who's going to tell them if it's not you and me? Somebody has to tell these people. And the reality is, even in a nation like this, as we become seemingly more and more secular, what I mean by that, uh, I, I know that there, there is a movement towards spirituality in, in parts of our society, but, but there seems to be more and more ignorance about the Bible, certainly. Even in Christian churches, the Bible is, is, is hardly mentioned anymore, and very much ignorance about the reason why Jesus came. Was He truly a historical figure? What was the significance? If He did come on and live on this earth, what was His significance? So I see a, a tremendous mission field right here where we live. <clears throat> One of the things we're going to learn from these verses uh, this morning and next week is, is to understand the good news of Jesus Christ ourselves, and then, of course, to share this to other people, and then as God, through the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> establishes Christian congregations, then we are all interconnected. Now, that's a hard thing for Christianity to understand, and yet it's implicit very much as we, as we see this connection between Jerusalem and this new uh, international multicultural church that's going to be established in a place like Antioch. <clears throat> so the gospel spreads to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, telling the message to Jews, but some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news. The Bible says to the Jew first, then to the non-Jew. That's exactly what we see happening here. <clears throat> and the rest of the book of Acts is really going to focus on this Gentile mission, this great missionary movement to the, to the Gentiles, and the, the leading uh, character on the pages in the rest of the book of Acts is the Apostle Paul. His goal is not to get to Antioch. His goal is get, to get where? Yes, heaven. That's a, good, that's a good answer. I wasn't thinking of that. <clears throat> Something a little bit more earthly. His goal is to get to Rome. Rome is where Paul wants to go. Now, he's going to end up in Rome in a way that he never dreamed. 
But that's his goal, ultimately, to get to Rome. The Lord's hand was with them, figure of speech. Sometimes we talk about the finger of God. Have you ever read that in the Bible? The finger of God, the hand of God. God is active in human affairs. And if you really want to know where God's, God's activity is, even though <clears throat> I'm sure it's in many, many places that we cannot even begin to understand, God's activity in the, in the Bible always seems to be on the cutting edge of outreach and evangelism. So if you want to see God working in your life, then get involved in other people who don't know Jesus. Find a way of doing that. Marion, she does that in many ways. One way is through a Bible correspondence course. Some of you in this room would benefit from that course. Do, do we charge for that, Marion? No charge. What a deal. What a deal. No charge, and it will systematically teach you about some of the important topics in Scripture and by correspondence and can build you up uh, in the faith. So there's lots of ways of reaching out. Some ladies here are making quilts, many different ways of trying to get the good news of Jesus Christ out into the world. So do you want the Lord's hand to be with you? Absolutely. A great number of people believed. We don't see very much of that in our world, do we? We don't see many genuine conversions, it seems. We don't see many people responding. We need revival. We need reformation amongst God's people for revival to come. We need to see the hand of God in the Anderson Church, in the Reading Church, in the Palisadro Church, any other churches where we need to see the hand of the Lord. What about the Red Bluff Church? Should we be praying for these other Seventh-day Adventist churches? Are they friend or foe? Friend, that's the way we should treat one another. That's the way we should, should interact with one another. Family, that's a good word, family. Whether we realize it or not, we are one great family of the Lord. Well, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, when the gospel went to Samaria, outside of Judea, <clears throat> that was new, that was different. And the Jerusalem church was very interested. They went to check that out. When the situation happened in a, in a very unusual way with Cornelius. Can you remember that tremendous story in chapter 10? The, the Jerusalem church um, called Peter on the carpet for that. What's going on? We want to know. This is strange to us. Sometimes the hand of God is strange to church leaders. Sometimes it's hard for our minds to be big enough and broad enough to realize what God wants to do and what God is actually doing. I heard a, a very brief report about Maranatha who puts uh, buildings up, churches and 
schools and, and that type of thing. And they had decided, um, I, I, I can't do the figures by memory, but they had committed uh, as a board to build so many buildings in 2012. And if you would have heard the figures, I think the pastors just went, oh, as though, wow, that's, that's too big. It's too massive. Well, whether it is or not, and whether they can pull it off, the reality is they have so many requests coming in that even if they filled a tenth of them, a fraction of, the, of all of the requests, they still probably would be overwhelmed. And the amazing thing is, we need to maybe hear more of, I, I don't always know what you have on the screen here when I'm in the office uh, getting ready to come on the platform. Maybe you've had some mission reports or whatever. But the reality is, in, in many parts of the world, we can visibly see God's hand working. Thousands and thousands are responding. And if we can have an organization like Maranatha or some other organization that can put a building up, they will fill it straight away. That's pretty exciting. We put the building up. That might take a day or two. They have new ways of putting those buildings up now. And then it's filled. And then what, what do you need to do then? Well, you need to build another one. And we'll fill that too. That's how quickly God's hand is working in certain parts of the world. And that's exactly what we see here in these verses this morning. It says, a few people believed. Is that what it says in verse 21? Many, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, Barnabas is one of my favorite persons in the Bible. Why do I like Barnabas? Do you like Barnabas? We all should like Barnabas. What's there not to like about Barnabas? Well, he did make some mistakes, but let's not, let's not dwell upon that. He was called the son of encouragement. What a great name. What a great name. I mean, if you know nothing else about Barnabas, that's something positive that can draw us to him. He was a godly man. As far as we know, he wasn't an apostle, though some think he, he actually could be referred to as an apostle. But not normally what, what we think of as one of the apostles, but a godly, spirit-filled man. So they sent Barnabas to check out what's going on here. This sounds exciting. Maybe it's a bit scary. Maybe they're not really being converted. Maybe they're not truly being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to check this out. So Barnabas goes to Antioch, and when he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. So he wants, and he's encouraging them, to give a wholehearted response. Isn't that the way of following Jesus, the true way of following Jesus? Not half-hearted, not going through the motions of, of going to church on the Sabbath and, and paying your tithes and offerings and doing things that Christians normally do, but you throw everything into this. And many of those Christians that had been persecuted and pushed out of Jerusalem what do they have? 
the money in their pocket, the clothes on their back probably. And yet they're sharing, 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 putting everything on the line, it seems, for the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what he encourages these Gentiles to do. Wholehearted response with all of their hearts and to persevere. Which in this translation says, remain true to the Lord. Persevere. That's one of the great characteristics of a Christian. A Christian, someone who is truly converted, does, does not throw in the towel straight away when the pressure builds up. When you're persecuted, then Jesus says, shake the dust off your feet and move on if they persecute you. But don't throw in the towel. Don't apostatize. Don't turn your back on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, a person that is filled with the Holy Spirit, will persevere right to the end. And many things may happen in their lives and in your life, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, that you do not understand, that are incomprehensible to you. But you persevere, you hang in, you hang tough. That's one of the characteristics of godly people. It says in verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Not one or the other, but both. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So we're seeing tremendous response. Before Barnabas gets there, we have a group of people that are really not identified doing their work of saying, hey, it's not enough just to get the message to the Jewish-speaking people. We've got to get it to others too. And as they, as they venture into this uncharted territory, God blesses them abundantly. The fruitage is, is immediately there before Barnabas even gets there. So he comes as a representative from Jerusalem, sees what's called here the grace of God, the Holy Spirit working powerfully in the lives of people, people getting saved, people rejoicing in the faith. He himself starts working by, either by way of evangelism, probably, certainly by way of discipleship, building them up. Because, hey, if you have a lot of people that flock in, somebody's got to take care of them, folks. You can't just sweep the house and leave it empty, right? We don't want seven other evil spirits coming in there, so we have to fill it up with teaching. We call that discipleship. It's very, very important. Jesus says, go and make what? Disciples. It doesn't say go and get converts. It doesn't say go and get baptisms, even though he encourages us to, to, to baptize. But go and make disciples. What does that mean? What is discipleship? Well, it means that you're trying to follow the Master and be His disciple. So if there's a great painter and I want to learn how to paint, then one way of learning is from the Master, the one who is very, very good at doing it. They can explain some of their techniques and how they do things. Well, who is the Master for Christians? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so somebody needs to explain who Jesus was, why He came, what's the, what's the purpose of all of that, and, and how to follow, how to commit to Him, 
how to, how to follow Him, how to build people up in the faith. Now, anybody here this morning who has been converted, it is your responsibility to disciple somebody. Now, if somebody has discipled you, it's a whole lot easier to know how to disciple somebody else. One of the fortunate things that happened to me as a young Seventh-day Adventist, God did not use the pastor. He did not use the leadership in the church. Maybe he wanted to, but it didn't work out that way. He used a church member who had the burden, maybe the wisdom, maybe the unction of the Holy Spirit to get me out of my home as a new Christian, get me out giving Bible studies with her, and showing me how easy it is. Now, I know that's only a small part of, of discipleship, but it's an important part. You, you, you're learning, 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 and as new converts, we have this tremendous thirst to learn, don't we? You're learning, 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 but then you have to be imparting that to somebody. You can't be sitting on it. The manna has to be shared constantly. And when I saw how easy it was to do that, then of course it wasn't very long before I had the confidence to be able to do that uh, on, on my own. And then of course learning what, what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to live this Christian life? If you had a, a social life like I had almost every single night on the town, in the discos, in the pubs, in the nightclubs, and then you become a Christian and it's all gone. Because God has taken you out of that world into a new world. Well, what are you going to put in its place? If you wait for church socials, you'll be waiting a long time. So you have to get active in your community, finding ways, there's a thousand ways to do it, of sharing the Lord Jesus Christ and growing in the Lord. We're all supposed to be growing. And you never stop growing. There's never a point when you arrive. To, to the last breath in your body, you'll be growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Barnabas is so overwhelmed, the Lord is giving him more than he can handle. He goes looking for a friend. If we didn't have Barnabas, we probably wouldn't have Paul. Because when Paul got converted... The early church shunned him. He may have found a few people in Damascus that would, would uh, allow him to stay with them. But the leadership in Jerusalem was, was very uh, apprehensive about this man. Barnabas took Paul under his wing and introduced him to the early church. They had a friendship. So it says in verse 25, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul who's going to be called Paul very soon in this book. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Can you begin to see how important Antioch is? We're, we're in this international church. This cross-cultural ministry is taking place. Now somebody like uh, Saul or Paul is coming in, working side by side with Barnabas, and very, very soon we're going to be seeing uh, Paul always being mentioned before Barnabas. 
Paul was given this specific commission by God to take the gospel to the non-Jewish world. Now, he spoke with a lot of Jews, and he preached to a lot of Jews, but his primary calling was to the non-Jewish world. Is it possible for these two men to work side by side? What do you think? Well, if they're anointed with the Holy Spirit, then anything's possible. Yes, they should be able to do that. And it seems that they, they were able to do that. And Saul would, would bring a different set of gifts to the table, but gifts that would be needed. And great numbers, we have some fruitage here, great numbers of people responded. Now, why were the Christians uh, called, why were these believers called Christians? In the book of Acts, they have been called different names. They may be called believers. They may be called these are the people of the way. Lots of different terms. But now we have a new group that's forming. It's not, some of the old names are not going to come anymore. So for whatever reasons, some think it was because of uh, there were people in Antioch who was very, very good at satire. Maybe this was a God-given thing. These people spoke so much about Jesus, loved Jesus, as they were witnessing about Jesus. Very interesting to read this in the book, Acts of the Apostles by Ellen White. Uh, she talks of them sharing Jesus with quivering lips. And they recreate, in, in their imagination and in their preaching, they recreate the life of Jesus, especially as around uh, Gethsemane uh, and the cross. Uh, and this is how hearts were touched. If your heart is not touched, then you really have little to share with anybody. But if your heart has been touched, and if you can, if you can imagine um, as you pour over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or a book like Desire of Ages, you can imagine Jesus going through these these steps to his death on the cross, and your eyes get moist and you have a quivering voice, your heart is, 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 is ravished by this picture of Jesus, then you're probably going to be a very, very good witness that God can use. So anyway, Christians were called, they have this title, Christians. It's a title that we, shouldn't be, that we should be proud of. We shouldn't be ashamed of this. Uh, first, it happened at Antioch. Now, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, it's important to notice that in Antioch, they had prophets. But now we're talking about prophets coming from another place. Where was that? Jerusalem. So immediately, an inquisitive person like yourself is going to ask, why? Why are the Antioch prophets not enough? Why do we need the Jerusalem prophets? Now, what is a prophet? It's not always easy to define a prophet, by the way. But I look on as a prophet as somebody who speaks the words of God. Usually not just by predicting the future, though we're going to see in these verses that Agabus does indeed predict a famine, but usually the prophet is somebody who speaks forth the Word of God uh, in the present to God's people trying to guide them. So the Jerusalem uh, sends these prophets to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted 
that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius, and the disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. Now this is really, really interesting. Judea is where the persecution took place. Many of these people, when they would respond to the Lord Jesus Christ, would have their livelihood cut off. And they were dependent on the church for survival, for support. The Bible teaches that we should take care of our own first. We have a responsibility to our neighbor. Who is my neighbor? We often wonder. But we have a primary responsibility to those in the family of God. And that's what's happening here. According to his ability, according to what they could manage to do, they provided help for the brothers living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is the first time in the book of Acts that the word elders is used. So if anyone's an elder here this morning, you should be very interested in this verse here. We're not seeing a clearly church organization as we understand it today, but we're starting to see the beginnings of that with these elders and people like Barnabas and Saul taking this financial offering to Jerusalem. It's kind of amazing, really. Jerusalem is providing help to Antioch in the form of Barnabas, in the form of prophets, spiritual help. And Antioch is providing financial help for those in Jerusalem. Can you begin to see, don't you think Luke is making a point here, the interconnectedness of God's people? We can't just say because somebody's living hundreds of miles north of us or south of us that, that it really has nothing to do with us because it does. And, and one of the strengths of the Seventh-day Adventist church, and despite many weaknesses that we have, we have some tremendous strengths. And one of the strengths is that when tithes, for example, I'm just making this local now, when tithes and offerings are collected here, we don't keep all that money. We don't keep the majority of that money. We have a system in the Seventh-day Adventist church where these monies provide, to some extent, for needs in other places. It might be needs at another level of administration, the union office or the division office or the general conference office. Then when it eventually arrives at the general conference office, you may have missionaries that go from that general conference to different parts of the world. If we want to put a missionary into a part of the world where we, we are not aware of any Seventh-day Adventist living in that country at all, and probably very, very few Christians. For us to financially pull that off is dependent on your offering and my offering. They do not generate finances from the general conference. Everything is based upon the local church being faithful. And when the, the church members are faithful on the local level, that has the potential to spread and also for you to have, um, I'm amazed that Anderson still has a pastor of one church. 
And one of the reasons that that happens is because of the faithfulness of certain members here in this church. So we see this interconnection, this interdependence. It's not Jerusalem bossing Antioch around. It's like Jerusalem, in a sense, being the mother hen who feels the need to guide and protect and nurture this new uh, church plant in Antioch. Let's go to chapter 13. And we're going to go through three verses very quickly there. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Colniger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So not only do we have a new church plant here, which is international, that's never happened before, cross-cultural, but now we have these international cross-cultural Christians being used by God to send off some missionaries. What's their names? Barnabas and Saul or Paul, to which is called uh, their first Paul's first missionary journey. And next week we will we will carry this theme on and see how God um, uses these men in, in very powerful ways. But realize that they're going into uncharted territory. This is very, very exciting for those of you that are interested in, in missions and, and missionary movements and so on. It's something very, very new, and it's something that the church should, that neglects at its peril. If a church becomes, if a group of God's people become so insular that they feel it's about them, more so and getting the word out to others. Now, there is a need for us to be built up in the faith, right? We all realize that. None of us is an island to ourselves. So we need to have interconnection right here on the local church level. We can't have lone rangers. God is not speaking through one man or one woman. And in fact, it's another interesting aspect of these stories that we're going through to see how God does use the local churches in very powerful ways. Yes, the Holy Spirit is doing this and the Holy Spirit is doing that, but He's doing it through the family of God. And there is discussion and there is agreement. Did you notice how they were worshiping together? They were praying together. They were fasting together. I take that to mean the whole church, not just a few leaders but they're all in this together. It doesn't tell us anything about financially how they will support Barnabas and Saul. It just tells us what the key ingredients are. Worship, prayer, fasting, and, and a sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He has many ways of communicating with us. Did he, did he speak to the church through these prophets? They just get this inner 
conviction that the time is right for, for this or that to happen. We don't, we're not always told those details. I guess you can spend at least a millennium figuring those things out when you talk with Barnabas and Paul in the kingdom of God. But the key ingredients are there, and they never change. We'll never get away from prayer if we want to see the hand of God. We'll never get away from past fasting. We'll never get away from worship. All of these are avenues that God can work through. And hopefully we will never lose that missionary spirit. We are called the Great Advent Movement. So we don't want to be static. We're moving. There's move, there should be movement there. Always thinking, okay, we, we have our building. Somebody talked about this beautiful building that we have. Well, we have our building. And it's true, we have to maintain our building. So we have offerings, local church budget to take care of that. But there is the larger world. We're going to put um, at least maybe $1,200 into buying Bibles to give away. That's not about us. That's not something we keep for us, right? That's something, it's a tool to be used in helping somebody who maybe doesn't know Jesus or is learning about Jesus to come in to the faith. So use whatever God has put at your disposal and, uh, and be determined to share, wake up, up every morning and ask the Lord, Lord, who today do you want me to share Jesus Christ with? Do you feel confident to do that? Do you believe God will answer? Well, try Him, because He wants us as a church family to always be a missionary-minded people. Let us pray. Gracious God, we, we thank You for these exciting stories in the book of Acts, but we always have to apply them to our day. Where do we fit in, Lord? Well, we've been saved. We know You. Help us to learn from these these stories, these incidents with the early Christian church, the sense of self-sacrifice that many of them had, the sense of commitment and dedication to you, um, the necessity of being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and exercising faith and putting you first, Lord, in your kingdom first, and everything else will be added. Help us to grasp that, Lord, and to implement that as a church family. And we thank you and we praise you for what you have done here and want to do here. Help us to walk in step with you, with your spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.